0: Try not to start with a, <clears throat> a downer, uh, but sometimes the events of the world demand a bit of a response. And so, before we get into our, our teaching today, and before we get into our study of Scripture today, <clears throat> I think we have to make comment on what we've witnessed in Charlottesville over the last 72 hours or so, the things that have happened there. Um, because as followers of Jesus, there are things we just can't be silent about, um, regardless of what our personal background is. or There are just things we we can't stand by because people are watching, people are wondering if God's people are going to speak into current issues and into current events. Um, The fact that that there are pockets, and I truly believe that, pockets of uh, our population as a country who are convinced that any race is more superior, first and foremost, just of the work of evil in the world, uh, the work of sin, the work of hearts that run away from God and away from grace and away from love and away from mercy. But when it When it takes such a public stage, then as followers of Jesus, we have to clearly say we condemn that, we are against that. We believe that God created all people in His image. We believe that God's desire is that all people, regardless of race or or language or country of origin, God desires that all people come into relationship with Him and being created in the image of God. Uh, God extending His grace to all of us puts all of us even and and equal. And as these things happen, the, the people of God have to be clear where we stand. And that we are for all people, against none. We certainly don't see any. Group or race as superior to another race. Certainly, don't see any other group or race as inferior to another race. But believe that we're all made in the image of God. Um, one of the reasons we need to speak to this and speak clearly about white white supremacy or racism is because, although I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just let's just look around. Although we may feel angry, discouraged, disappointed, um, uh, turned off by those who hold those views, there are people that worship with us that are friends of ours uh, who personally feel the attack more so than most of us, and they need to know that we stand with them, that we are on their side. Um, I don't know where all this goes in our country. I, I know as followers of Jesus, we are for any person of any race that would come to know Jesus that is created in the image of God, and that's all of us created in the image of God. So I want to pray. I, I want to pray for our nation, for our leaders, for us as the, the issue of race continues to get more complicated on a societal level, but it's not complicated at all from a spiritual level. God, we ask that your spirit would restrain though in the world. Your spirit would push back those who, for whatever reason, think their race is superior to any other race, Because that comes from a heart of pride, that comes from the work of the enemy in our hearts, deluding us into thinking that we are somehow better than other people. God, I pray that the church of of Christ would speak clearly and boldly against groups that propagate this in our country and in our world, and that we would... Hold fast to the reality that we all stand equal at the foot of the cross, in need of forgiveness, all of us having hearts that need to be repaired and forgiven. God, I, I pray for sensitivity on the part of those of us who are in the majority, sensitivity towards Uh, people of other races who feel this a lot more personally than we ever will. Help us to acknowledge that, to understand that, and then to be sympathetic and prayerful and supportive. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. It's somewhat surprising to me how popular apocalyptic movies are That whole genre of the world is about to end. I I was uh, one of the recent movies I went to see. This has been a couple of months ago. uh, All of the previews there was like five or six. Like all of the previews were apocalyptic in nature. Every like one right after. Aliens were coming, and then zombies were coming, and then (laughs) nuclear war was coming, and then something was crawling up out from the ground was coming. Like, every single one was about this apocalyptic, the world is about, and we're fascinated with that. Like, this is incredibly uh, popular sort of genre uh, in our world, uh, in our country. Uh, What's it going to be like? You know, like... The world ends except for, like, one guy and his dog. And, like, how do they survive on another planet that they got to and escape the apocalypse, and they rebuild, it's crazy, it's just weird, and, and, and I guess maybe because we feel like it's so fanciful, or so far out there, maybe we feel like it's real, I, I don't know, but apocalyptic literature, and then the whole dystopia, Hunger Games, Maze Runner, like that's a, a sort of akin to apocalyptic, some big world catastrophe has happened, and there's weird things going on, we're, I don't know why we're fascinated by that, but we are. And, and the reason it's, it's weird to me is because in normal conversations, we don't go around talking about this, right? You, you don't have apocalyptic conversations uh, over coffee at work, unless it's about a movie, right? Unless you just saw Morgan Freeman save the world, then you don't have those conversations. We don't think about the end of things very often. Um, yeah, you know, I... I, I I guess unless you're a doomsday prepper. I've like I, I got to allow for that. There is sort of like that doomsday prepper uh, uh, population. Uh, National Geographic has a t- television show. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've watched it. Um, but they have the whole doomsday prepper. I, w- I went online to just kind of, you know, I do my research here. I, I, I studied for Sunday mornings. I found this guy. This is Chad and his family, nice-looking family. Uh, here's the description. I know you can't read it. This is August 30th if you want to set your DVR. Uh, Prepper Chad believes that a nuclear strike resulting in a genocidal siege is a real possibility. He is working on executing the biggest prep of of his life, a (laughs) a 140-foot-long escape tunnel from his family's house to a bug-out vehicle. And they got, got like, video of this, like this tunnel going through his backyard and this bunker that he's buried. He's going to go down the bunker and go out the tunnel Um, I'm a little confused as to how a nuclear strike hits the house, but not the bug out vehicle. My impression of nuclear strike is that it's kind of bigger than that, but apparently there's going to be one and they're going to get in this tunnel and they got a Jeep out there and they're getting away from everybody and going to another planet with a dog. I I don't know what they're going to do after that, but... Uh, yeah, and, and and if you're wondering, am I prepared? Like, maybe I should be doomsday prepared. There is a quiz that you can take if you go to the National... Ge- Just Google doomsday prepper. How prepared are you? Right? That that looks real enticing. We all want to be that guy. How prepped are you? You can take a quiz. You can find out. So I realize there's that segment, and maybe that segment is you. Good for you. Again, you do you. Uh, no judgment here. There's a judgment-free zone. You do you if you're prepping. Um, I, don't, I don't want to hear about it for an hour in the lobby. I'm perfectly content for you to do it, and uh, I will support you. But I, I, I don't have a tunnel in my backyard. Maybe I'm going to get one. Maybe you do. Maybe you got a bunker. That's cool. I'm not against it. All I'm saying, I'm just an observer here. I'm just an observer of culture. We like apocalyptic movies. Some people have tunnels in their backyard. But most of us, we don't go around talking about this all the time. Like it's not a part of our conversation, and maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a, maybe that's a really good thing. Except, except. The Bible does frequently suggest that we live this life with the end in mind, that we never get too far away from realizing, you know, life is going to end one day. Whether that's the world, a lot of different Christian beliefs about how everything's going to wrap up one day, right? Like God's going to end time and space and bring justice and peace and judgment and all that. There's a lot of different Christian beliefs about that. Christians disagree on some of the timing and how that's going to work, which is fine. It's a great conversation. What is undeniable, what there's no disagreement on is that each of us individually are going to end one day. The calendar's not going to turn for me forever and ever and ever. Like, birthdays are going to stop for me one day. Anniversaries, Christmases, they're going to... This life, going to work, being a pastor, like, that's going to end. And we don't like to talk about that. Like, already you're getting uncomfortable where this is going. I, I get it. It's not something we like to talk about. But the Bible says frequently, hey, just, just keep this in mind. Like, you don't have to be freaky and weird and, like, you, you don't have to get depressed about it, but just... Keep this in mind. Your life's not going to go on forever. Ecclesiastes, Old Testament book, it's kind of in the middle of the Bible. It is one of the best slap you in the face with reality books in the Bible. If you've never read Ecclesiastes, it's a great book. It's one of my favorite books because it is kind of, hey, I'm going to wake you up. Solomon is king. He was son of David. He's king of Israel. He's, He's old when he writes this book. And he, he, he's, at the, he's at that age of, I don't care what anybody thinks. Don't we all hope we live to that age? Like, like the clothes that we wear and like the, what we tell people. Like, man, I want to be you one day. I, I want to not care one day and just say what's on my mind. Solomon's at that point when he writes this book. And he doesn't care He's like, I'm just going to tell you how it is. I'm going to tell you how life really works. And we hope that it works differently in some ways. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes, sometimes life stinks. And Solomon is just cut and dry in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's one of the things he says. Death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Again, just in your face. yo, You're going to die. Don't forget that. The death, Death is the destiny of everyone. The living... You should remember this. Like, keep this in mind. Like Live out your life in view of the fact that the end is coming. Make decisions, relationships. Decide the person that you want to be based on the fact that one day this life is going to be over. And then what's really going to matter at that point? Spiritually, obviously. Consider your life spiritually from the perspective of calendar's going to stop turning one day. The first part of that verse is interesting, Ecclesiastes 7.2. The first part says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. I mean, this is Solomon, like party animal. He's like, it's better to go to a funeral home than to go to a big party, which that sort of, sort of should have been our theme verse, right? <laughs> like for these last two and a half years. Come to the funeral home. It's better than a party. That's not what Solomon's talking about. Solomon says it's better to go to a house of mourning, and this is what he means, I think. He, he means there are things that you can learn when you're faced with your mortality that you're not going to think about at a party. Like there's, there's a weightiness that comes when you say goodbye to somebody that you love or a friend or a family member. Like you suddenly have to face things that you don't face every day. Like it's right in front, mortality's right in front of you. And so Solomon says it's better to go to a house of mourning because you think about important stuff there. You don't think about when you go to a party, he's got nothing against parties. He talks about eating, drinking, and being merry all throughout Ecclesiastes. He's fine with parties, he's just saying, you're going to really think about life differently when you're faced with your own mortality. Moses, the guy who leads the Hebrews out of Egypt, uh, they wander in the wilderness, they're going to the promised land, that guy... In Psalm chapter 90, Moses says this. He's talking to God. It's a prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You want to know how to make wise decisions? You know how to be smart in this world? You want to know how to plan out your life? Know that your life's not going to last forever. Know that there's a limited number of days that you get to spend on this earth. There's a limited number of trips around the sun that any of us are going to make. Keep that in mind, and it will help you make wise decisions decisions. Jesus told his followers one day, nobody knows when this is going to happen. Nobody knows when the end will come. And Jesus was talking about big picture end, but certainly individual end as well. Nobody nobody really knows. It could be any time. So Jesus' message was, be ready. Like, know that it's coming someday, so be ready. Uh, He tells a story of a wedding, and they're waiting for the groom to come, and the groom delays and delays, and... Don't really. Jesus doesn't really tell us what's going on, but when he finally shows up, half of the wedding party was ready and half, half of them weren't ready. And Jesus' message was, be ready. Because you don't know. You don't know when the end's going to come. Just live your life with that perspective that the end will one day come. Now, o mentioned it. We're in this series called High My Name Is. So what does that have to do with Hi, my name is, because that doesn't seem like a very welcoming thing to say, right? Hi, my name is. Do you know you're gonna die one day? It didn't quite go with the whole hospitality theme we've been building the last couple of weeks. Here's what Peter said. We've we've been hovering around some verses in 1 Peter 4. So let me go back and read where we've been, and then we'll, we'll we'll read another verse. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And we're talking about, okay, we're, we're about to up and move to a new place. And people are going to come visit. And we're going to have the opportunity to love them. We're going to have the opportunity to welcome them, to show hospitality. Which in, in this case means, you know, show hospitality to people you don't know as much as people you do know. I keep broadening the circle. But right before Peter says that, right before he gives us those commands... I think he tells us why we should do all of that. And and for us, it's not so we get more people. It's not so we're bigger. It's not so everybody thinks we're great or we have a great time. It's not that at all. If it's it's any of those things, then we shouldn't move. We should shut down because we're we're on the wrong mission and track. This is what Peter says in verse 7, right before he tells us to love each other. He says, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. And in one sense, he's talking about the ultimate end. But again, there's disagreement about how that's going to play out. Here's one thing there's no disagreement about. The end of all things is near for all of us. I mean, Time is going to run out for all of us individually. Why should we love each other deeply? Because the end is near. And we don't know when the end is for the person sitting next to us or even for our own selves. The end of all things is near. So love each other deeply. The word deeply right there means constant or continual. It's, it comes from a word that means to extend or to stretch. Peter says, look, everybody's going to die one day. So, so let your love for other people keep growing. Like don't, don't restrain your love for people to like th- just these few people who are like you or that you like the most. Okay, as you go through life, because the end of all things is near, because people all around you, people are going to come to our church. The end is going to come for that person. So let your love for others keep growing and growing and growing. You, you, parents, you, everybody can understand it, but parents, you've had this experience. You're married, you're, you're in a relationship, you love your spouse. But then you have a kid and it's like this whole other love like comes out. Like you, didn't, you don't know where it came from, or you don't know how to describe, describe it, but it's a different love. It's a qualitatively different. It's like There's a, a little human being in our house now, and like my heart is just overwhelmed. I just love this other little person. Like it, just, it just grows. The love that you have just grows in that moment. If you have more than one kid, then you've probably had the experience a lot of us had when we had our second kid. And that is, as it's about time for the second one to be born, there's this thought, and maybe you verbalized it, maybe you didn't, but there's this thought of, like, I love number one so much, I don't think I could love number two as much as I love number one. And they're going to be in therapy because I don't love them as much as I love number one, and how do I hide that? And I don't want them to know that I love one better than two, or two better than that. I don't want them to know those things. And number two comes, and you realize, well, like, there's more love now. Right? And Like it gets bigger and deeper and like, I don't have to take any from one and give it to two. It's not like that. It's not a zero sum where I have to divide it up more. It's just, there's just more love there. It's kind of what Peter's saying. Look, the end is near. Like, like People are, are going to stand before God one day. And so... The love that you have for people, like the grace that you extend, the desire you have for people to know Jesus like you know Jesus, like the deep love that you have for people has got to keep growing and growing and growing because every person that you meet is going to die one day. And they need Jesus. And the path to them finding Jesus may be because you love them. You cared for them. You reached out to them. You befriended them. Love deeply. This is honestly why a lot of churches start dying. It's because they get to a point where they go, you know what, I really like everybody at our church. Like, I really like our group. Like, this is our thing and our people and our our kind. And I I, I love our little circle here. And love stops growing. And the mission dies with that. Like the call of God on the church to see more people come into the kingdom and more people meet Jesus, it dies when I decide, you know what, I love enough people at our church, I don't think we need any more. Peter says you can't do that. The end of all things is near. People out there are going to die and meet Jesus. They need to come and discover his love for them because this is what I can tell you. Every person that comes to that new building on the first day or the the hundredth day or the thousandth day or whatever, every single person that enters that building is going to die and stand before God one day. They're going to meet Jesus one day. And and, and apart from a relationship with God's Son, they're going to spend eternity separated from God. The end of all things is near. And that's why... When they come, we've we got to love deeply. we got to use our gifts. we got to serve, and we got to welcome, and we got to build relationships, isn't it? And not just people who come to the building, right? I mean, you go to places every single day. I go to places every single day. We have circles of people that we associate with every single day. And Peter, if he were here, he would whisper, yeah, the end of all things is near for them too. Hey, students are back in school. you you, you got people that you're interacting with every single day, and one day it's going to be their last day. Adults, you go to work, you have neighbors, you have family. If you're a parent, your kids, they have ball teams and swim teams and gymnastics teams, and, and then you have that circle of parents that come along with that, like God's putting you and me in places out there. And yeah, we want to love people when they come to the building, but when we're out there, we want to love people as well because the end of all things is near. Peter says, in light of this, because the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind. Because this is so important. It's, like it's such a big deal. Because this is so real that I want you to think maturely and wisely, and I want you to think correctly. Now, on the one hand, don't be flippant about the fact that the end is coming for all of us. And don't, don't just be casual about it, don't be cavalier. Don't just toss that aside. That's a reality that all of us are going to die and we're going to stand before God one day. But I think he's also saying like, don't be crazy either. Right? Don't be a maniac. Think maturely and wisely. And how does God want you to speak into? How does God want you to build relationships of love and genuine concern and friendship with people because they need to know Jesus and the end of all things is near? What, what is God calling you to do? What role are you to, to play? And maybe that's in inviting them. We've we got a lot of great things when we make this move. we got our first Sunday and and we'll have kids' activities kicking off, and we're going to do the movie night that we had to postpone. We're going to do that in September. We're going to have a grand opening. There are going to be all these opportunities for you to say, hey, would you come with me? Hey, you can sit with me. Hey, would you visit with me? And all of those are great. But, but maybe in your circle, God's going to lead you to share your faith. God's going to lead you not just to give an invitation to church, but to say, hey, can I tell you about something that's really important to me? Or can I pray for you? And and just through those little conversations, God would keep opening a door for you to share about eternity, to, to share about your faith, to, concern, to share about how you put your trust in Jesus and what it's meant to you and, and how it's changed you because the end of all things is near. And if you understand that, if you understand the weight of that, then it will push you to love deeply to care deeply. He specifically says, be sober and alert so that you can pray. That in this process of people preparing for the end, your prayer matters. Now, like you're calling out to God on behalf of someone else matters. So pray weighty, deep prayers on behalf of the heart's of other people. It's, he, he's not saying that we, we, we shouldn't pray for the practical everyday things. I, I, he's not saying that. But, but I think Peter and other places in Scripture say, Look, when you understand that one day all of this is going to wrap up, like all this is going to be done, and we're going to be before God, when you understand that there is, a, there is a depth that will take place in your prayer life, Because you'll be praying for that person, and that person, and that person, because you know the end of all things is near, and you're not sure what it's going to mean for that person. If the end of all things for that person happened right now, you aren't sure where they're going to spend their eternity. So Peter says, pray deep, mature, weighty prayers, because the end of all things is near. We gave you a prayer guide this morning. I don't know if you've looked at it or not. It's it's 14 things you can pray over the next 14 days as we get ready to relocate. I'd love for you to put this on your refrigerator or where you can see it. And there's just a there's a short prayer every day of some aspect of this relocation. I just want you to be praying for every day over the next two weeks. But here's what I like. Here's what I like for you to do. Somewhere on this page, put a name. Put a name. Or two names. Or three names of people that you're not sure where they stand with God. That you're not sure. If the end of all things for that person came today, you're not sure they'd spend eternity in heaven. Put somebody's name there and start praying for them. Start praying and and, and see if God opens a door, opens an opportunity for you to share about your life with Christ, about what Jesus has meant to you. Just begin praying, God, God, If the end of all things came for this person today, I don't know where they'd be. Open their hearts to the gospel. Open their hearts to the love of Jesus. Redeem them. God, just begin praying. Um, The reality is, that's going to happen for all of us. Maybe before you start thinking of somebody to pray for, maybe what you need to think about is your own heart. Like Where are you when the end of all things happens for you? Whatever that day is, I hope it's a long time away. But it's going to happen. I mean, the latest research is that 10 out of 10 people die. (laughs) Maybe you didn't know that. Medical technology increased vastly. Pharmaceutical, just getting better all the time. Pain management, great. That statistic hasn't changed. Ten out of ten people, they're going to die. And, and look, you're not going to avoid it either. I'm not going to avoid it either. One day the calendar stops turning. I'm not suggesting that it's today. Okay, I'm not one of those guys. We're not all going to have fiery car crashes on the way home, all right? Uh, just probably, probably nobody's going to die today. I hope not. Probably nobody, not a single one of us is going to die this week. Maybe not next month. Maybe not next year. But but here's what I know. We're all going to die. The end of all things is near. I don't know how to define near. Is that a year? Is that five years? Is that 10 years? Is that 50 years for some of us? 80 years for some of us? Richard Carlson has a chapter if you read Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, I think that's where it came from. Here's a chapter called, A Hundred Years From Now, All New People. <laughs> it's just a reminder that hundred years from now, none of us are on the earth. Not a single one of us. All new people, hundred years from now. I don't know when it's come. I hope it's a hundred years from now for you. I just know that the end of all things is near. And while I want you to pray for people that you know, and I want you to invite people, and I want you to be ready to share the love of Jesus who walk into our new building more than anything this morning, I I want you to know that your heart's ready. I want want you to know that whenever that day comes, you're spiritually ready to stand before God. There's a lot of misrepresentation of what Christians believe these days. Uh, It's... Amazing to me that people who have never studied or thought about Christianity are such experts on what we believe. Here's the essence of what Christianity teaches. Here's the essence of what the Bible says there is a God. There is a God who rules and reigns over all things, who's before time began. And out of his love and goodness and grace, if, if there are other reasons, we don't know them. Just out of His goodness, He created time and space and put a universe in it. And He created us. He created us and desired relationship with us. And from the beginning, we were too prideful. From the beginning, we thought we knew better than God. From the beginning, human, God's creation Decided, I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to try it my way first. Pride swelled up in the heart of humanity from the very beginning. And it wasn't one person or two people or five people. It was everybody. From the beginning of time, our bent toward disobedience has affected every single one of us and everybody in this room. Everybody that has ever lived or will ever live rejected their creator, said, now I'm going to do it my way. From beginning to end, the scripture says, because of that, our hearts were separated from the being that created us, from the God who spoke us into existence. From that God, we are now separated relationally, and we cannot get back to him. We cannot repair this. Our mistakes, our sins, our disobedience has separated us eternally from God. But God, the God that created us out of his love and goodness decided he would do what's necessary to fix that separation. That you would not pay for it and I would not pay for it, but that his son would come and would pay for our sin and separation from God. That He would live in our place perfectly without ever sinning, without ever disobeying in any way, in action, in thought, in motive, never disobeyed His Father, something we could not ever do. And at the end of this perfect life, He would die on a cross in our place, taking the punishment we were supposed to take. And three days later, He would defeat even death itself and rise again, To be our substitute. And there's nothing else that we can do. (laughs) Like There's no other act that we can do to add to that. That's everything. Our heart is reunited with our Father, not because we do a bunch of good things, but because we trust that His Son did everything for us. That we trust that on the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus took our sin and paid our penalty and offers to us freely His grace and forgiveness. And salvation is saying, I need that and I trust that in my life. That's what Christianity teaches. You're separated from God. Jesus came to buy us back to God, to redeem us back to God. Salvation is me saying... I need that because I've sinned. I trust that Jesus died for me. The Bible tells us that in that moment, God no longer views us as sinful and disobedient, even though we still are. God gives us the righteousness of His Son, like the perfection, the holiness, the purity of Jesus. Like God sees me that way because I trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. That's salvation. That's what happens for me to be ready to meet God. So that when the end of all things actually comes. And I stand before God. He sees me through His Son. Through the righteousness and perfection of His Son, Jesus. That day is going to come for you too. That moment is going to come for you. There is no greater decision you can make in your life than to surrender everything to Christ so that you're ready. So that you're ready to stand before God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? Like the reason that we are here as a church the reason we worship and, and, and teach, the reason we're, we're moving and are going to be able to have more ministry is because the end of all things is near and not everybody's ready. Not everybody's ready to meet Jesus. Not, not everybody's received the forgiveness and grace that comes through His death alone. Whatever we're going to like or not like about the building, whatever's going to be great, whatever we're going to have to work on and fix. It it all pales in comparison to the fact that we have been put here so that more people would know Jesus and be ready when the end of all things comes. What about you? Just be honest with yourself and with God about where you stand. Has there been that moment in your life Or you trusted Jesus to be your Savior. You trusted His work on the cross and in the resurrection to count for your sin and your disobedience for all of eternity so that you would stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. If not, this is the moment. This is the time. Just admit that to God, that you've disobeyed, that you need Jesus, and then tell him that you put all of your trust for all of this life and the next life in the perfect work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. Trust him. You can't do anything, you can't work enough, you can't do any good things. Salvation is not what you do. It's what Jesus has already done on the cross and in the resurrection. On that connection card that you got when you came in, there's a, there's a place to indicate, I, I committed my life to Christ today. If that's you, check that box. We, we want to pray with you. We, we, we want to follow up with you. We want to help you get this process started in your life. If you want to talk after the service, I'm going to be in the lobby. I'll stay here all day. There's nothing more important than somebody coming to know Jesus. God, I pray over all of our hearts today. Just remind us. Life doesn't just go on and on and on like this forever and ever and ever. There's a time when we're going to step out of this life and we're going to step into eternity. And the most important question of our life is are we ready for that day? God, it's not about coming to church or just about knowing some of the Bible. It's it's about trusting Jesus that He is the Son of God. God that He is the way to salvation and the only way to forgiveness. And if there's anyone here who has never done that, let them do it today. Let them give their life to Christ today. I pray it in His name.